What up and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine, Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in 30 seconds. A quick reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcasts on Twitter at James Erpine and at Locked On Bengals. Let's dive into it. Let's welcome him in. He is Joe Goodberry. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work in the athletic uh, really good stuff on the Bengals each and every week and joe i appreciate the time as always yesterday I, I let off the podcast by talking about how timing is everything and i think the Bengals going into this offseason realize andy dalton has two years left on his deal andy dalton has had multiple injuries now and it's just time to just in case they don't want to back up the Brinks truck and sign Andy Dalton to an extension, it's time to look at quarterback. I believe that's what's going to happen this offseason. The Bengals will seriously consider drafting a quarterback early. The problem with that is that there aren't going to be many high-end quarterbacks available. At least that's not the way it's projected. Timing is everything, and yet again, it feels like the Bengals are late to the party that you and I have been talking about for quite some time now, which is draft a quarterback i think they'll do it either this draft or next draft but it's probably a year or two later than it should have been yeah you're probably right on that um they should have been open earlier to it and if you go back we can go back to the last two drafts because i think they're um a good barometer to look at and what we should expect for this next one and maybe the expectations will get a little too crazy if we use that but i want to use it for an example 2017 mitch trubisky was the consensus number one quarterback um, going into the, that draft, a lot of Bengals fans, a, a lot of comments, a lot of other fans, too, uh, would say that was a weak quarterback class. And really, it's just Trubisky. And even people said to me, he seems like an Andy Dalton type, so it's really not worth it to take a quarterback there um, because the potential of getting an upgrade probably isn't there. So Trubisky goes, what, number two or number three with that trade. Um, and what we saw on, that, on, on draft day and leading up – was that Mahomes and Watson were thought of as late first round, second round um, guys with some upside, but there was some worry to their game. And instead they go number 10 and 11 and with, with teams trading up to make sure they secure the guy they wanted. And both have been fantastic and both can end up having um, bye weeks in the playoffs if everything goes right this final week. Uh, so Watson and Mahomes end up being the guys. Trubisky's been really good too, but the idea was, oh, next year's class is going to be an all time great one with, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and, and Josh Allen and and Josh Rosen and four guys did go in the first round, actually five, Lamar Jackson too. Um, and so everyone had their eye on next year's draft. And now we're in a situation again where the top guy goes back to school and goes back to Oregon. Um, Haskins hasn't declared yet, so we're not sure if he is, but he's probably going to go top five if, if he comes out. So maybe he's the Trubisky this year. And then there's a bunch of guys that a lot of people are looking at as maybe they go into the first round, maybe they're more second-round picks, developmental, high-upside guys uh, that that have some, some issues in their game that need to be ironed out. And so we're sitting in the same situation again where we're looking at the following year's uh, uh, draft and we're saying, man, next year's could be fantastic. And maybe it'd be best to wait for that quarterback in next year. And the Bengals could do that because they have a veteran guy in Andy Dalton. But I'm just saying before we even start into draft season, and we're just dipping our toe in now, um, to still just even because it's a weak class, it could be a weak quarterback class. But that doesn't mean there won't be a franchise guy. That doesn't mean there won't be three franchise guys like there was in 2017. You just have to look at these guys, watch the tape, 
and see if one of these guys could potentially be better. Because with every draft pick, quarterback or offensive line or wherever you want, wherever you want to go, there is risk involved that that guy may not, may never be anything, or he may not even be good his rookie year, as we've seen recently. And because of that, you need to watch these guys, and it's still a possibility, even in a weak class that you end up with a Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes or a Mitch Trubisky. So we shouldn't close the door yet. It's just it has this class has taken a hit. And the biggest hit is probably that the Bengals beat the Raiders, and now the highest they can pick is number nine. Um, and as low as if they win this week, uh, number 16. So they're oh. on that back half. They may have to trade up if they oh. do want a quarterback this year. But, hey, it's not like they use third-round pick uh, uh, Malik Jefferson this year at all. I mean, you can give up one of those guys to move up to, to get your guy. <laughs> No doubt about it, but to to me, I, I think there's the argument in losing this week. This week is meaningless. <laughs> like it is meaningless for. If anything, it, it could potentially save Marvin's job, right? So, oh man, you uh, <laughs> want to avoid that. Um, it, but here's the crazy part. You mentioned uh, th- like this off season. I talked about this on the podcast yesterday, and I want to get your thoughts. Like, let's say they had drafted Lamar Jackson. I, I know you threw that out there on Twitter. Just the the parallel universe, the alternate timeline that it would have created. Um, not only for this season, but for this offseason. Now, let's say Andy Dalton gets hurt like he did. You use your first-round rookie quarterback in Lamar Jackson for the final six, seven games of the year. That's great, right? Because now you get to see him. And now in a draft class that's weak, in an offseason that doesn't have nearly the amount of free agent quarterbacks that, that were available a season ago, you have a trade chip and Andy Dalton. You have a chip that you could use that has a a very reasonable contract that would be appealing across the league because I'm viewed, and I think you're viewed to a certain degree, as uh, an Andy Dalton basher, but we both know he has value in the league. There's value to Andy Dalton, especially with the contract he has. And especially in a weak quarterback class. So to me, if they let's say they would have drafted one of those guys, this would have been the offseason to move Andy. And instead, that's not even going to be entertained, even if they spend a draft pick, uh, a high draft pick on a quarterback, because they don't know what they're getting. There's a lot of unknown. Yep. And had they addressed quarterbacks the, over the past couple of years, they would have been able to move on from Andy this year and gotten a haul for him. I really believe that. No, I, I know. I agree. And and let's say they do want to draft a quarterback this year. And if Herbert would have come out, if Haskins come out, and let's say they were picking, because if they would have lost to the Raiders, they could have picked as, highly, as high as number four. Um, instead, that's not going to happen. But say they were up in that area and Herbert goes number one or two or three, Haskins follows at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in that range. If the Bengals could have landed one of those two guys or even been in position to move up to use one of them, you could start those two guys right away. Uh, and that would be a scenario where you trade Andy Dalton. I think in this class where you have a Mahomes Watson, that's the hope on those on those guys that are going to go in the in the in that second tier. Um, you want to sit those guys for a you know a year or half a year if you can. And in that case, you're going to keep Andy Dalton and try and remain competitive, especially if you're keeping Marvin Lewis going going into next year. So um, I agree, they missed an opportunity. Uh, they missed multiple opportunities, let's be honest. And so now let's not miss it again and let's be open to that position and open to that to that ideal this year. Yes, absolutely. Let's be open to it. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about the prospects and all of that stuff. But I, I thought it was interesting. The other thing, and, and I think that uh, our listeners, they probably follow you on Twitter anyway, but you went into what if they had drafted Lamar Jackson? Where would the Bengals be yeah. now? And obviously, Billy Price hasn't been 
what some expected him to be, what the Bengals expected him to be, which was a plug-and-play center. I think I'm not sure if he's the best center on the team. I think that might be Trey Hopkins, and I think that's fair to say at this point. It's not mm-hmm. saying that Billy Price is a bust or he's not going to be a good player. But looking back, had they drafted Lamar Jackson, where do you think this team is? Assuming they had done what they'd done with, with keeping Marvin and done what they did uh, with the offseason as far as the coaching staff is concerned. Yeah, and what makes this interesting is that the – as we pointed out, the AFC North really attacked quarterback in drafting, except for the Bengals. And so let's say the Bengals do take Jackson instead of Bryce. Hopkins starts at center for the year. So they really don't lose anything. And they may even have a better uh, productive year at center with Hopkins. So let's say the, the, the season goes as it goes and Joe Flacco gets hurt. Um, now the Ravens don't have somebody to turn to to rejuvenate their offense. So they don't go 9-6. and six. They don't beat the Bengals that, that week, and, and, and the Bengals beat the, the Ravens in this alternate universe. And now they, they are 6-4 uh, and four going into that Browns game where Andy Dalton gets hurt, and you insert Lamar Jackson. They probably still lose. Dalton got hurt, and it was 28-7, I believe, at the time. Um, so 6-5. and five. Now, the Ravens don't continue, and right now they're in first place pending Week 17, and they're going to win the division uh, if they beat the Browns. So instead, the Bengals go and with Lamar Jackson, and they have to retool their offense. And some people question, and I do too, would they be able to retool it? Would they be able to lean on Jackson, who is a unique um, offensive weapon, in, in, in running the ball and, and creating an offense uh that can that can keep the the defense fresh and keep them off the field. And the defense has been better under Marvin Lewis, so this would have coincided around the same time. Um, the Bengals could have potentially beaten the Broncos with a Lamar Jackson led offense. They could have beaten the Chargers with a Lamar Jackson offense, and they bit, did beat the Raiders. And I think they would have. I mean, and Jackson did beat the um, Chargers on what was it Sunday Night Football last week. So that was mm-hmm. one of those performances where you say, well, he could have done it if had the Bengals offense adjusted in a similar way the Ravens did. Um, and I think in an alternate universe, we'd be looking at this week 17 game of you win and you're in. And even if they don't, as we mentioned in, the, in just the last question, even if they don't, um, having that tape and that, experience with your future franchise quarterback would have been invaluable. I think even for the Ravens, they're playing with house money right now. They know at least they're going to move on from Joe Flacco in the offseason, whether they can trade him or not. And they're going to go with Jackson, try and keep developing him as a passer, put more weapons around him because he could really use a receiver. I think they'd, they'd like some stability at running back, especially receiving back. So the Bengals would be in a similar situation where even if they would lose week 17 to the, to the Steelers and not make that playoffs, um, Having that information and having that that confidence now that this guy can be built around and you can do do more things with him and he is a unique player so you have to build around him uh, in a special way but that would be that would be the ultimate scenario and I like to think there's an Earth two out there where the Bengals did take Jackson at twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> right. A little superhero reference there, where Lamar Jackson's on the Bengals and that to me. Uh, it's just, it'll be so interesting since he landed with the Ravens to see how it ends up. Um, and the other thing I thought was interesting and and who's the comp, like who's the guy that Lamar Jackson gets compared to the most. He gets compared to RG three. And I think it's, that's the one and you, you had a good rebuttal for that. That's why. Yeah. It's always RG three. And I, and I guess it's because they're both thinner, you know, you're not going to compare him to cam Newton. You're not going to compare him to, uh, insert whatever running quarterback you want to say. But uh, to me, they're different anyway. I think Lamar Jackson's much more dynamic of a runner. RG3 yeah. was fast, but he wasn't really uh, – he didn't have the the horizontal speed and, and quickness. And RG3 Lamar was Jackson a much possessed. better passer at this point. That's and, fair. 
And, um, you know, if you look at RG3's rookie year, he had like 101.5 quarterback rating. Uh, he was dynamic. He was instantly an elite quarterback in the, that rookie year. Now, whether it would have continued or not, I think it's hard to say. So people say like, well, Jackson's not going to, this is the comment you'll see a hundred times. I've gotten a hundred times. Jackson won't succeed. Look at RG3. And I'm like, what? how does RG3, What? why is that the comparison? RG3 ran 78 times his rookie year. And only, um, what was it, uh, 33 of those were designed runs. 45 of them were scrambles. Okay, so really, they didn't force him to run. Twice a game, they said, okay, you, we, we have this play in there for you to run. But they weren't running him into the ground. He did get hurt on a scramble play. And then they put him back in the game. And he got hurt on a drop back pass. When he when he planted that back leg, it crumbled and he went down. And that's the reason he got hurt. And anyone can get hurt. Look at every quarterback in the league. They all get hurt. Andy Dalton's been hurt twice in the last four years. Quarterbacks get hurt being drop back passers. Sure, you don't want them to take the extra hits running the ball. But to compare him to Jackson, who's already run 112 times this year, 96 have been designed carries. So, RG3, 78 times as a rookie, 33 were designed. Jackson already in six weeks, well, plus the Wildcat stuff they did throughout the year, 112 runs, 96 of those have been designed, only 16 being scrambles for Jackson. So Jackson is unique. He's hard to compare to anybody. I understand why they want to throw RG3 out there, but it's a terrible comparison. And, and RG3 may have continued to have success. He was a good passer. I think once his knee got, got shredded and they tried to really keep him in the pocket so that they couldn't do some of these things they were doing with him, Cal Shanahan being the coordinator there, at the time and it really helped because we see his offense is, is able to continue to have success look at Nick Mullins right now with the 49ers he's having a solid year uh RG3 probably would have continued success I think once he got hurt other things happened he seems unstable at times afterwards and there was a lot of turmoil going on in Washington I just think it's a terrible comparison for Jackson who is unique by every definition running and throwing I think there's a lot still there um, for him to develop as a passer, but there's no reason why he can't get there with continued reps and and, and development. Yeah, to me, he's Michael Vick. Like yeah. that's uh, like that's Michael Vick as a rookie, by the way, didn't do much. <laughs> His second year, he had over a hundred rushing attempts. Every single one of Michael Vick's Pro Bowl years, he ran the ball over a hundred times. And I get it; he had injuries. Um, Lamar Jackson's a little bigger than Michael Vick. But Vick was a little guy, uh, but but that that to me is a comparison and. If you can get a Michael Vick level talent at 21 or 32 like the Ravens did, you do it and you see if he can develop into a better passer than Vick. Because if Vick was a slightly better passer and understood the game a little bit more early on, I think he had would have become one of the best. And he was obviously electrifying. So, yeah, I, I think that that would be the better comp. Right. I would agree completely. I think Vick was the, was the comp we used uh, pre-draft. Vick had a crazy strong arm. If Vic was 10 years later, um, his career may have went a little bit differently. I think yeah. being the first of that kind to really be an explosive running quarterback uh, and when every offense wasn't open to college concepts and running spread offenses and, and getting the easy completions, I think his numbers suffered because of it. Now, the Falcons were a dynamic team and a tough team to beat at around that time. Uh, but obviously, uh, there were, he never became a complete passer until much later when Chip Kelly and the Eagles, and he was a veteran, and Chip Kelly brought all this stuff. He had a almost MVP-type season that, that one year. Uh, but yes, I would agree with that, that that's the comparison. I just think Jackson, 
likely has a much more successful early part of his career only because the the game is designed quarterbacks right now quarterback quarterback ratings never been higher completion percentage has never been higher interception percentage has never been lower um every quarterback gets good production i mean we're talking about uh jackson and jeff driscoll both have an 85 quarterback rating 85 would put you in the hall of fame in 1975 so you know it's a different game now you get good production and that's why also, this goes into a bigger conversation. Every quarterback has a good system around him in this league. I mean, 28 out of 32 of these guys really do. And the difference now has become, um, and I think this started because in the early 2000s to mid-2010s range, it was hard to find quarterbacks because, the, like I said, the NFL and college game was so different in, in the passing um, offense. So as more started to infiltrate the NFL, it became easier, and I think most of it is chicken and egg. Like, did the NFL teams start switching up because they needed these guys to succeed? I think that part is true. But I also think it's because the the college game had some really novel concepts, and that's why it's gotten into the NFL. So these quarterbacks started to get better, and they started to be able to hit the ground running as coming in as rookies. And you see the games have gotten much similar and much closer. And because of it now, every quarterback – is able to produce at a good to solid level. I mean, the average quarterback rating in the league, I think is a 92 for the season. Um, and even Andy Dalton, 88, 89, he's been below average the last few years. So you look at it and say almost everyone is playing well or producing well. So that's why there's a difference between good quarterback play and good quarterback production. And I think that's why this year we're seeing as like the old guard, the the Tom Brady, the Drew Brees, the Phillip Rivers, those guys are system guys and that's not a slight that means they're going to run their system to, perf to perfection but when things go wrong they're not the type to create and what are we seeing instead these explosion of these young guys like the mahomes the watson the the baker mayfields these guys create outside of the structure and because of it they're instantly special and you look at them and you go well that's what i want because you have to have the guy that creates outside of structure. We have a guy that creates within structure very well in Andy Dalton, and he has had success because of it. But why, is he, why isn't he? Why is he separated from the rest of that middle of the pack where we can never figure out, is Andy Dalton a top uh, a 12 through 24 type guy? That's where everyone will put him. Why can't he separate from that? Because he doesn't create outside of the structure. So when we look this year at quarterbacks, you want that because that's what's going to separate the next generation of quarterbacks. It's not going to be the guy that runs the play and, and throws it where he needs to and re makes the right read and makes the right completion because everyone does that now. It's going to be the guy that can create when things aren't there. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, um, before we get into it, and I want to talk about Sunday's loss to the Browns uh, in our weekly film review segment, but first, gut feeling. Is Marvin back next year? Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> like three weeks ago, I was – remember when I was upset when you kept mentioning it? I and told now I'm you. Just, now I'm just reserved to it. it he's coming back. I, and uh, and it, you know it, what, though? Even if he's not, if it's Van Joseph, Vance Joseph or Hugh Jackson, that sucks too. And the thing is, is I heard last week – and I keep forgetting if I mentioned it on the podcast. I don't think I did with you. But I heard last week that Vance Joseph, if he gets fired, that he could be the defensive coordinator – Naturally, Hugh Jackson could be the offensive coordinator and Marvin Lewis could get the band back together for one more year. And the crazy part about that is I heard that and I'm like, OK. And I mentioned it. I was on Cincinnati Radio. I mentioned it. And then Monday, Lapham heard it from someone. Yep. Uh, so, it, you know, obviously the Vance Joseph report came out nationally from Ian Rappaport, I think it was. But like, oh, my God, like that. That's a reality like that could have really happened. And, and the more I think about it, it's like 
we had all these injuries. Let me have my offensive coordinator and you, my defensive coordinator in Vance, and let's go after it. And I think there's a, I would say 60 to 65% chance that Marvin's back with those two at the helm as his coordinators. I don't have anything to say about this because it's so bleak. It is so no other franchise in any professional sports would do this. None. None. It None. would not happen. None. It, and it's just so crazy to think that they'd be like, yeah, that's we can. This is the best coaching staff we can assemble. And I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> what the, the bad part is Marvin Lewis and just the stagnation and continuing to allow him to to run this organization and this team, and you just feel like there has to be change. I yeah. mean, Hugh Jackson is not a bad coordinator. He he got a lot out of this offense when he was here. Um, Vance Joseph seems like a good defensive guy. The Broncos have had good defense since he's been there. The Bengals had a solid defense when he was defensive backs coach, and I can understand it, and it, that makes sense. I just, man, I just want a fresh start so bad, and yeah. I don't feel like you get that with Marvin, and and I don't feel like. They're going to get the best out of, but I will say one thing, Bill Lazor has to go. So part of me looks at this and goes, well, that means they recognize Bill Lazor's got to go and, you know, I can get excited. But that, is that like every Bengals fan goes to, what is that Stockholm syndrome where you, or, where you're like, yeah, this could work. But then you got to step away and go, I'm so stupid for being a Bengals fan. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I think a lot of people are there. And the thing is, and I did this a couple weeks ago, but it's true, is like fans are getting robbed of the idea of having a new coach. You know, I, I mean, who who would you want? Like in a perfect world, everyone that's being talked about up here in Cleveland, and there's literally names and names and names being dropped and thrown out there. All of those names should be on the board for the Bengals. It should be a done deal. Now, if that person wants to hire Hugh Jackson to be the offensive coordinator because he got a lot out of Andy Dalton, then fine. That makes sense. But there should be a new head man. And the fact that we can't even really have that conversation, think about it right now. We should be breaking down coaching candidates, Oh man! right? In, in the, the different guys that it could be. The Packers that. have interviewed people already. Yeah. I what? saw the report this morning that they've interviewed Chuck Pagano and I can't remember the other guy now, but Jim, you know, legit coaches. Yes. Yeah. But to me, I, I mean, I'm not interested in either one of those. No, yeah, me either. I, I would be interested. And I know he got blown out and he, obviously he didn't, uh, Love the whole Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't love him, but Mike McCarthy, I would be interested in him. And I know things uh, ended up and it looked ugly, and he got a lot of blame in Green Bay. But he's a guy I would be interested in. Sometimes breakups can make people look bad, and that was an ugly. It got ugly at the end, but I, I would be interested in Mike McCarthy. McCarthy, um, you're not. No, I'm not because they <laughs> had a lot of Twitter offensive hates issues. Mike McCarthy, keep going. They slant flat concepts constantly. It's like. You can see Rodgers' frustration with it. And now Rodgers hasn't played that well either after McCarthy McCarthy has left. So there's some of Rodgers declining or, or not being totally into it maybe. But um, the thing about taking a coach that's already won or a, a long-term a retread, really, it doesn't. I don't care if the guy's won before or not, uh, even a Super Bowl. If, if someone said John Gruden, Bill Parcells, Bill Cowher want to come here, I'm not interested because those guys – historically have never won again in two places. There's never been a coach that has won a Super Bowl for two different teams. And so it, the chances are you're taking a low, low payoff or, or a high-risk bet, however you want to look at it, and and saying, yeah, you're going to get that guy. He may get you the playoffs. He may bring a new vision to the team, but he's not going to get you the ultimate goal. The, the, 
the thing that's going to save the golden ticket, and I've heard that a lot lately with the Bengals fans, um, a quarterback's not going to be the golden ticket or a new coach isn't going to be the golden ticket. It's all about Mike Brown. And I can understand that. But at the same time, I would say, no, actually, quarterback and coach are the golden ticket. For bad franchises to get completely turned around and, and be convinced that they can win something and it's worth investing in, it usually takes that new quarterback or that new coach with that vision. And, uh, they, you know, look at the Colts. The Colts, without a quarterback, you saw Jim Mersey front and center, and that team was a dumpster fire. But between Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, when they're playing well and healthy, they look like one of the best franchises in the league all of a sudden. So I think the Bengals would be in a similar situation where you've got to just pick a guy off that is a coordinator that's got the right mind. If that's a Frank Reich, if that's a Sean McVay, there's these coordinators all over. I think the Bills got one in Sean McDermott, and you wouldn't have known who any of those guys were before they got hired. Uh, Frank Reich did win the Super Bowl, but he was the quarterback's coach. He wasn't the offensive coordinator, right? No, all the way around. He was the offensive coordinator, and uh, DeFilippo for the Vikings was the quarterback's coach. Mm -hmm. But the Colts hired him late in the process, and Reich didn't get the opportunities. Mike Zimmer got passed over a bunch of times, and I think a lot of teams would take those guys now. So for me, I want a coordinator. Um, I would prefer a young offensive guy, but at the same time, it's it. the golden ticket may be someone you've never even heard of. Up next, we'll dive into the Bengals-Browns game from last Sunday. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll talk about coaching, why it matters. Marvin Lewis is probably going to come up and more with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. But first, a word from the official brewery of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Before the Steelers play the Bengals on Sunday, there's a lot going on at Wiedemann Brewery to help keep the spirit of the holidays alive and ring in the new year. They have acoustic guitarist Jesse Bass. He takes the stage tonight at 7 o'clock. And I'll be playing all of your favorites and taking requests. This weekend will be loaded with college football action. Catch all the bowl games on Wiedemann's big screen TVs, including both national championship semifinals. And while you're there, try the German chocolate cake Imperial Milk Stout. I told you about this. They tapped it. You got to try it before it's gone. I'm going to be there this weekend, uh, as in in Cincinnati. I'm going to go there and make sure I try one because I'm excited to do so in its 11% alcohol by volume. So make sure you uh, have yourself a driver when you have one of those German chocolate cake imperial milk stouts. And what's awesome, guitarist and songwriter John Ford makes his final 2018 appearance on Sunday evening. Stick around for Bengal Steelers, Browns, Ravens for the best live blues in town. It's a four, four o'clock kickoff. So you can go for lunch, stay for the music, and then stay for the football games with plenty riding on it. The bar is going to be staying open late for anyone who wants to get an early start on New Year's celebration. Speaking of which, Wiedemann's Brewery and Pub is the place on Monday for New Year's Eve. Act quickly if you want to make reservations. Seating for dinner is very limited at this stage, but the bar will be open for walk-ins while there's room. They open at 6 o'clock. Slick Willie and the Kentucky Jellies will be rocking the stage until 8 p.m., way past midnight. Check out all the details at Wiedemann's Fine Beer on their Facebook page. Also, Wiedemann'sFineBeer.com. Wiedemann's is the official brew of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Stop in anytime and pick up a few six-packs of Wiedemann's Cold Craft Beers for your weekend celebrations, wherever they may be. They make great last-minute holiday gifts, too. I hope to see you there. And for more details, like I said, check out their Facebook page or go to Wiedemann'sFineBeer.com.
Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. Joe, I had a feeling that the Bengals were going to come up big against the Browns and perform at a high level. And even though the final score, they covered the eight and a half point spread, the final score looked better than the game was. Uh, the offense was dreadful. It was awful, uh, in my opinion. It didn't show any creativity. Uh, they didn't use Ross in any different way, like I thought maybe they would. You didn't see Auden Tate much. You didn't see the young guys. What were your thoughts on uh, the Bengals' offense, especially the first three and a half quarters of the Bengals' offense that had, at one point, negative 15 yards passing? I believe that was at, at the end of the first quarter at, at halftime. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I thought while watching the game, here we go, Driscoll with two back-to-back horrible games. And, and on review, it wasn't that bad for Driscoll. Um, it wasn't like the week before. Uh, mostly, it was Bill Lazor, and that's why I said earlier he's got to go. There was just no scheming or the confidence to take shots or pressure the Browns defense in the backing away from the line of scrimmage. It's two years now out of the last four where Andy, where, I mean, where AJ green goes down and you look at the impact on the defense has on that, on, on the Bengals and, and, and how they can scheme. It's just night and day. And they bring safeties into the box. There's eight guys in the box, one safety deep. Uh, they back the corners off cause they're not really worried about it. So really it's just, Three guys worrying about coverage and eight guys defending the run. And you see it hurt Joe Mixon. Uh, they've got that safety slanted towards John Ross right now. And they're saying, okay, Cody Korn, Alex Erickson, and C.J. Ozama, go ahead and beat us. And, uh, I mean, nobody's scared of that, right? So you see it, and it's so dreadful that they don't even at least take more shots deep. There was a couple plays where Cody Korn looked like he was streaking downfield beating his man, and Jeff Driscoll ran it or they dumped it off underneath. And I'm not even sure they're telling Driscoll to take these chances. Uh, everything is quick passing. There was a couple screens to Ross. There was a screen to uh, Giovanni Bernard. And guys are just right on him. And it's they're not even trying to, 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 to trick anybody. They're just saying, we're going to take this four yards and punt the ball at this point. And they don't trust the offensive line, I think, with, with good reason. But at the same time, you've got to push the ball downfield. you got to trust them a little bit. The Bengals over the last seven weeks are like the sixth least pressured team in the league. And it's mostly because they're trying to get the ball out extremely fast. And that's not what Driscoll does. If you look at his splits when passing the ball within two and a half seconds to passing the ball after two and a half seconds, you look at his splits with no pressure versus getting pressure – Every number is completely better when he can hold it longer or when he's getting pressure because he is an out-of-the-structure quarterback. We talked about this earlier. But Driscoll is not a guy who's going to look his best when you want everything to be fine and tuned in the offense and like Andy Dalton will be. So he's the opposite guy, and they want him to be Dalton, and they want to run their offense with with Driscoll being playing that role. And instead, as we talked about the Ravens and Jackson, they should be changing their offense up a little bit. This should be a completely different looking unit. And other guys should be getting playtime. This is when we should see Mark Walton. This is when we should see Auden Tate. This is when we should see Josh Malone. You need to know if you can trade Giovanni Bernard in the offseason because you're not using him enough to, to justify that salary, even though he's a good player still. Uh, you need to know if you need to spend a mid-round pick at receiver with A.J. Green entering the last year of his deal and Tyler Boyd needed an extension, but to be honest, why would you extend with the Bengals right now? I'd like to see what they're doing with their future first. And then John Ross still being majority of a question mark. You may need to use a third, fourth, 
round pick on a receiver, but you have Tate and Malone on the on the team right now that you're not using. So I think the Bengals need to use this opportunity to answer some questions. Obviously, Christian Westerman is one we continue to ask for, uh, and they're not doing it. And now here we go, week 17, they're still trying to field the best team they can to win, and all it's doing is hurting their vision for the next following you know year or two. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's... And again, it goes back to coaching. You know, you have a coach who's coaching for his job. And I did like, I will say this. I'll give Marvin a little credit. I like the fake punt. Yes. I it like only the waited until they were completely out of it. Their first game, they were eliminated from playoffs. Now they're going to get risky. That's right. Just like he started going for it on fourth down the last, what, five weeks. Yeah, and, and, and he should have been doing it weeks ago. Yes. You know, when it could have had a huge impact and kind of changed momentum and everything that it, where it seemed to snowball. Now they're leaning on Joe Mixon. Now they're using fake punts. Now they're going forward on fourth down. Hello. The season was over five weeks ago. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's, it's just to me, a new coach for a variety of, a new coach would help a lot of things. Look, it, it would potentially help Joe Mixon. It would help John Ross. It would help Andy Dalton. It would help the, the, the players that I think are still on the roster, like I know Cody core has been okay. I guess he's okay. I'm not sure if he's on the roster if a new coaching staff comes in, you know, I, I that, and that's why if you're Mike Brown, you should be wanting to see Auden Tate. Mm-hmm. And I think the front office does. And I think that Auden Tate has been one of the many players that the front office, meaning Duke Tobin and company, and the coaching staff, meaning Marvin Lewis, have butted heads about this year. I think that that's a, a real thing. The, the way the fans feel about Auden Tate is not may, maybe a little higher than, than what the, the front office feels, but the, the front office thinks he can play. And I, I think Marvin thinks, and from what I've gathered, and that's why I've come on the podcast a ton and said it, uh, Marvin doesn't think he could play. Marvin thinks he's slow. just doesn't think he could go out there and play at a high level, thinks he needs to develop. And so that, to me, alone is enough to say, all right, I need my front office and my coaching staff completely in sync. Yep. And it doesn't seem like they are. Um, and, and that's me speculating a little bit, but just what I've gathered, that's me you know, th- throwing out something that I think, uh, even if it's 75% of the way true, the fact that it is, uh, it, to me, it, it's a no-brainer. You, you should get a new coach that's in line with Duke Tobin, who I think everyone un- understands is a, a pretty good evaluator of talent. Now, he doesn't always make the final decision on the draft, but he is a big part of it, and I think he's drafted really well, So, uh, or at least well. I wouldn't say really well. There's been a couple down years. But overall, um, they have to be in sync, and I'm not sure they have been. The biggest key is that unified vision from leadership to scouting to coaching um, in, in the NFL right now in, in, in terms of roster building and drafting and then using these guys the way you envision them. And when a GM watches a John Ross and they say, okay, he can do this, he can do that. I see him do this in college. Um, I think we can do this and that with him. Well, you know, I'm giving you bare examples here, but the coaching staff now gets them and they have to apply that on the field and they have to coach them to get what the GM believes his potential is and if they're if they're not in agreement on that and you're using audit tate i'm using john ross here but it applies for both um if they're not in agreement the coaching staff may not use them that way they may not correctly 
draw out the same plays because they may see exactly what they've seen in practice or on tape and, and in games while the GM still sees what he saw in college or what he what he drafted, what where why he gave that high grade on that player and, and was convinced in him. He, he still sees that and goes, I think he can still be that. And, and coaching staff, that's why you need to have that unified vision. You see a lot of franchises around the league that have down years, and sometimes it's because – um, Sashi Brown and, and Hugh Jackson don't agree on who to draft and how to use them. And, and or maybe it's, you know, other organizations out there that have done the same thing that they're just not on the same page. And sometimes you see a coach is, is hired before the GM or the GM is hired before the coach. And and sometimes they're brought together with that understanding, but sometimes they're paired together and, and you hope for the best. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think in this case for the Bengals, that is why I believe I would want Duke Tobin to remain and help lead the charge for the, the the next coach and why I think he is probably the key being the football guy in that organization that from a scouting um, perspective that's that's higher up in making the decisions is he may be the one to eventually help lead the charge and, and maybe convince Mike Brown this is why we need to move on from from Marvin because this guy's not using it correctly this guy this guy this guy because these guys can can be better because we can have more talent on this roster if we could use these guys correctly and I think a lot of people would agree over the last few seasons and it's not just the last few seasons for a long time it's been one of the criticisms with Marvin Lewis's um, coach teams that they're not using this guy or that guy or this guy because and right now I would say I've said this year, I maybe out of the 53 guys, 50 of them are underperforming and maybe three are overperforming guys like maybe Joe Mixon and, and Tyler Boyd. And that's only when they use Mixon. Uh, and maybe there's a, maybe Jesse Bates is in there with them, but everyone else is probably paying at the level or below you would expect or the level you would need for this to be a playoff team. And that just can't happen. And when you look around the league and you use the Patriots as, as the example, now everyone can't have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but they get a lot out of these guys that, that no one else did. When they go and sign Stephon Gilmore from the Bills, the Bills were like, eh, you know, he's kind of inconsistent. We don't really know. Not Gilmore. Maybe playing is the best corner in the league. Um, they just, same to Chris Hogan from the Bills, Rex Burkett from the Bengals. They find a way to use these guys and use them correctly, and it just puts them miles apart from, from the rest of the league just by using these guys to, to their strengths and trying to hide some of their flaws. And I don't think the Bengals do that nearly enough. Instead, I think the Bengals line their guys up and say, go win, rather than the teams that are really good right now scheming these guys open to their strengths. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned their, their strengths, and, and we've talked about Hugh Jackson and and obviously there's some bad blood there in, in Cleveland with, with Hugh. Um, Hugh leaves, Todd Haley leaves, Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams slide into head coach and offensive coordinator, and suddenly they're using Baker Mayfield to his strengths. He's not dropping back eight steps, you know, and he's getting the ball um, out of his hands after a three-five-step five step drop. They're letting him make plays and do things like that. They're using Nick Chubb. Yep. And putting him in a position to win. And to me, Duke Johnson, David Njoku. Duke, Duke Johnson. You're right. Duke Johnson. To me, Giovanni Bernard and Duke Johnson are the same guy. Yep. And neither one has been used properly. And now you're starting to see Johnson get used the right way. And it's just like, can you imagine Giovanni Bernard in New England? I mean, can you imagine some of these guys? Maybe James White. James White's going to have 100 catches. Exactly. He he would be. And I think he, he could potentially be a little more dynamic than James White if he gets those kind of opportunities. So... That that's why when I look at this offense and this roster, uh, I can't really make a judgment. Now, I, I will say there's one coach that I think has maximized the talent that he's had to work with on this Bengal staff, and it's Frank Pollock. Uh, 
I don't think the offensive line is good. Uh, I don't think they're that talented. I don't think Billy Price is that good. I don't even think Gordy Glenn's that good right now. I think it needs to drop some weight. I think he's too heavy. He's too big. Um, and it's been pretty uninspiring for his first year in Cincinnati. And I think Frank Pollock is getting a lot out of guys that aren't that great. Now, I get the Christian Westerman beef. I'm not sure that that's his call. That could certainly be a, Yeah, that could certainly be a Marvin Lewis decision. Uh, but I think Frank Pollock has gotten done a lot with a little, even though the, the results might not be where you want it, because I just don't think they're that talented. The offensive line is still an interesting question. We kind of gotten away from it because they did add two premium players in their minds with Cordy Glenn and then um, Billy Price. I, you know, starting Hart and going with him the entire year was questionable. I think same same could be said with Alex Redman at right guard, especially with the way Hopkins has played, with the way Christian Westerman has continued to show. Uh, overall, they're run blocking okay. It's a, kind of a home run strikeout thing at, at run blocking. I think the passing offense and the quick passing offense has hidden a lot of their issues, and that's why um, you know when they try to do five seven step drops or play action and, and get a deep drop, they're getting they're getting pressure on the quarterback during those. Uh, I wish I could use like Pro Football Focus or Football Outsiders to just separate the five seven step drops and see how often our, um, Driscoll and Dalton were getting pressured on those. I think that's largely a reason why John Ross hasn't been able to get as deep. I think that's why A.J. Green hasn't been able to get as deep as he wanted to. Um, so the offensive line, I think, has some pieces to build around. I would love to answer the Christian Westerman question. I don't think we're going to get that chance again. So looking at it, this team may view Bobby Hart and Alex Redman as starters next year again. And I say that because Hart is still, I think, 25 years old. Redmond's in that range also being in his third year now. They may see it as Billy Price is going to be better next year because we drafted him and because we think he's going to keep developing. And they may they say, well, we got Clint Bowling and Cordy Glenn on the left side. We're not going to mess with that. And we can go in with those other two guys starting and if one more year under Frank Pollock and we should get better play. I think that's incredibly risky, but I can see that scenario playing out looking at the age of the of the two starters at right guard and right tackle. Even if they end up, and there's there may be three offensive tackles. If, they, if the Bengals be pick between 9 and 16, um, they're going to be looking at a few guys that could probably plug and play starters and be franchise, either right tackles or left tackles. And I think... A lot of fans would love that. I think linebacker will be one of the, one of the positions we talk about a lot, too, at, in that spot. But if they bypass offensive line in the first round, I could definitely see a scenario. Because, listen, they don't go out and sign free agents. And offensive line free agency gets insanely expensive. You want to see how the Browns did it? They've got one guy they've drafted in Joe Batonio. They signed J.C. Treader in, in, as a free agent. And they signed Kevin Zeitler as a free agent. Those are the three interior guys. And they are fantastic. I think uh, – Baker Mayfield's been sacked five times since he's taken over as a starter. They really aren't letting him get hit. And they've put in um, – they've, they've signed Grant Robinson, who was a former bust at left tackle, and all of a sudden he's playing much better. They signed Chris Hubbard as a free agent at, for the other tackle spot. That's the, that's the formula. You want to rebuild the offensive line in a hurry, you're going to have to attack in free agency. And I just don't see the Bengals doing that. And that's part of the reason why I've said they're – at least two years away from really getting this thing turned around again. Uh, and it's because I don't think they trust their offensive line. And I can see a scenario where most of these guys, if not all of them, are starting again next year. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. You know the other one that's interesting with Cleveland? They signed Brashard Perriman. Yeah. And it, it doesn't seem like he's going to do much. And, and this, to me, is a, a perfect example of 
using wide receivers the right way and suddenly he's a player and i think a lot of that might have to do with baker mayfield but that's not neither here nor there that oh i think that's a great example though james i think the confidence in coaching quarterback makes everyone play better yeah like to me like if john ross was in cleveland right now i think he'd be a stud like i really i swear i do and so because people have joked like oh you just take john ross to cleveland with you and i'm like yeah okay i'd love to (laughs) because it would go well um so, so to me like this, and, and it just goes back to this coaching staff not putting their players in position to win, and the assistants can be different, and the coordinators can be different, and, and the players can be different, but the one constant has been Marvin Lewis. And if they bring him back again, I don't know how you're going to win over fans. I don't know how you're going to win over some of the players. They see it. Yep. They know it. You, you think they're dumb? They know it. Um, and I do want to ask you before I let you go and you've been great with your time as always, let's talk about the defense. Um, Vontez perfect left with a concussion. Um, and Catherine Terrell of ESPN said that it's, uh, it could be career threatening. Now it's the seventh known concussion that perfect suffered during his football career. Um, so that is awful. Obviously he's been underwhelming this year. We certainly don't want him to, to be injured. I don't wish, wish injury on anyone. Um, obviously he's been bad this year, but the defense as a whole, how did they play against the Browns? Because I thought going into the game, they were playing their best ball, maybe of the season. So how did they play, do you think, on Sunday against the Browns in the loss? Mixed results. They weren't as bad as they've been. Um, There was bad plays at bad timing. And when I say that is, there was a lot of throws that Baker Mayfield made that I don't think a lot of quarterbacks can make. And I mean, some of these sideline throws, um, one Landry, Duke Johnson, couple of Landry, uh, that were just pinpoint accuracy ball placement in the and I'm writing about um, the Bengals lack of ball skills, especially at, at corner and safety with Sean Williams and Derek West Denard. And um, a lot of the times they got picked on and the ball going right over their heads and the pass to David and Joku for a touchdown and deep one to thrown by Jarvis Landry over over Sean Williams. Uh, but there was a lot of plays where. It could have gone in a different direction. I think the coverage is fine where you're happy with the coverage. You just wish the ball wasn't thrown so perfectly and that maybe the the defender could have made a play on it, but they couldn't. And, and then because of it, uh, I think the, they got behind early. The Browns were able to control the game a little bit more and the defensive line really struggled. Uh, that interior offensive line for the Browns is really good. Baker Mayfield navigates the pocket as good as any quarterback in the league. He's looking like Drew Brees out there doing it. And this isn't supposed to be some Baker Mayfield praise lumped on him, but when defenses play bad, it's a lot of times that other quarterback is forcing them to play bad. And that, I think that's what happened in, in this scenario. Uh, and just, you know, things like Sam Hubbard, he had a he had a down day. He was, gotten, he was getting beat up by Greg Robinson in the run game. They ran right over him a bunch. Uh, Geno Atkins had a tough time with that interior uh, offensive line for the Browns. And you look at it, and then the final play, David Njoku, where I want to say it was uh, – Hardy Nickerson diving in front, and he misses the ball, and Njoku streams downfield, and the game's over at that point. It was just small little play-the-ball situations, and that's why I decided to write about it this week because I, I, I think it's an issue, and I think it's something we should look at going forward because they need to make a decision on Darquez Denard, and do you bring him back? And while I think he's a good player, his best asset is his run run defense and his tackling. It's not so much his quickness, which I think is something I would value for a slot corner. And I think ball skills becomes 
an issue when you also have Sean Williams, who at times lacks ball skills, and Drake Kirkpatrick that lacks ball skills. Uh, I would say Jesse Bates and William Jackson were both drafted because of that uh, that attribute, and it, it really shines in their game. I would think Darius Phillips, he had a pass breakup that was really nice. And, and Phillips has ball skills. He was tremendous. Uh, he was a receiver at, coming out of college. That's, that's one thing he could always hang his hat on. So you can see the young transition to that trait and, and the importance in it. But do you keep a Denard and start him and pay a Jackson, Denard, and Kirkpatrick when two of those three uh, can be beaten even when they're in great coverage? And I'm talking about Kirkpatrick and Denard. So I, I think the, if I was constructing a roster, I wouldn't want that being an issue for those two guys. And uh, I, I wonder where the Bengals are going to place value on Denard. And could that open up even another hole on this defense that needs to be addressed in the offseason? Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a good question. And uh, before I let you go, last thing, Vontez perfect. Let's say he does try to play again. Um, and, and obviously he's been underwhelming this year. Uh, let's just say that the Bengals get a new coaching staff and they decide to move on from Vontez perfect. Do you think there's going to be a team that's interested that kicks the tires uh, on no. a guy who's you, you don't you, you no. think that that would be it for him if the Bengals move on? Yeah, I do. I think maybe the Raiders and Paul Gunther could do it, and the Raiders have brought in a lot of uh, lot of I, former Bengals, but a lot of troubled people, and and at the same time, a lot of veterans. I heard maybe two months ago that Paul Gunther was not interested. That okay. could change. That could and change. If, you know how people you floated that, off, that out there. Yeah. yeah. If you take that off the table, honestly, he didn't get drafted for a reason. The way he's playing now, the antics over the last few years since 2015 playoff game, and even before that we've seen him, but we stomached it because he was really good. Um, but those issues were at Arizona State, and he didn't get drafted because of it. Every team passed him said, no, we don't want anything to do with that. And then he played really well, and it made him valuable again. And if you would ask me four years ago, I said, oh, yeah, there would be a lot of teams I'd be interested. And then since then, he's playing about 8.6 games per season. Uh, and he's multiple suspensions, penalties, fines, and it's not just hurting other people and hurting your own team. He is now a danger to himself, and, uh, you know, you hope he he figures that out before it's too late, and I think he has tried to adjust some of his tackling, and I think that's made his play even worse. He's just a man out of time. This is not this is not the time for him to be playing the style of football in, in the NFL, and if it was 20 years ago, he'd be a superstar, but, you know, it that happens. As we talked about, Mike Vick was too early. Well, Fontes Perfect is probably too late in, in this era. And I don't think any team would, would bring him on or at least bring him on for a lot of money. He'd probably be at league minimum without a starting position handed to him in order to motivate him to be in shape and be healthy. And uh, so, I, you know, having said that, that's why that's a big reason why the Bengals should probably let him go and try and move on. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Joe, what will our readers or our listeners read when they check out your work at The Athletic? We're going full draft season. So I, oh. I'm, I'm leaving the film and only part I'm using of previous games or, or current games in, in, in these final two weeks is that um, is when I'm using them as examples. So like right now I'm writing about ball skills and it's because this is something I'll reference going forward. I'm going to define what ball skills are, um, why they're important, uh, how you can play the football as a corner because and as a safety because I think it's really difficult in this league right now. Um, but there are, I think ball skills are the separator. Locating it, tracking it, um, making a play on it. If your back is to the ball and if you're facing it while you're in zone coverage. So uh, there's different techniques for everything. And I think the Bengals are struggling in that area on defense. Their corners do not have an interception this year and they've got one game to go. So um, it's something to talk about. And then we'll use it going forward. And that's 
what I'm going to do. So I'm going to define what we want in a quarterback next. I'm going to define what we want in a linebacker next. And um, from there, we'll go into prospects and we're full steam ahead till April. He's Joe Goodberry. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. That's going to do it for today's podcast. You can follow me at James Rapine and at Locked on Bengals. Back at it tomorrow with a Prediction Friday podcast. Until then, I'm James Rapine. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked on Bengals podcast.